Hello and welcome to the chess pit. We're all on holiday. So instead of normal rubbish with three of us, this week Chris has interviewed Lee Wu. The chess pit! Sponsored by Playfair Capital. Rethink the way you live and work. So it's my pleasure to welcome Lee Wu to the show. I'm hoping that Lee is going to bring some much-needed expertise to the topic of online chess. He currently works for PokerStars in their game integrity team. I hope I'm right in saying that. And he also has got the background of being a strong junior chess player. We've talked before on the show about how he beat both myself and Phil in the final rounds to win various real-life tournaments when we were kids. So, Lee, if you could start by just fleshing out your chess story a little bit for us. Okay, so ever since I was a little kid, I was always interested in puzzles and games. Uh, I, I was born in China, and I was playing various board games, and I just so happened to enjoy chess the most because it was 3D, and nice. Queen was the most powerful piece. Um, yeah, that, that, that was when I was about eight, um, and I played chess in school because of that. Found out I was, well... In the beginning, I, I, I was the best player in, in in the school chess club, but later found out that I wasn't the best because all the all the cool kids, well, if you can call them cool, um, uh, and were taking lessons outside of school and didn't play in the school chess club because it was just too boring to beat up noobs. Um, so I eventually persuaded my parents to take me to 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 some extracurricular chess coaching, and yeah, that was my chess store in China and got interrupted and moved to England and started grinding the the, the junior circuits. And... The small stakes of English chess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I think from a previous podcast, I think you already mentioned that um, my story of living in uh, Coventry and being lucky to, to be introduced to some people that were very friendly and Tony Miles himself. And yeah, he was... Uh, I was helped greatly by Nanitian Chess Club and yeah, and was coached for free for a few times by Tony before he tragically died. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic experience. And we did. We had a quick chat about it, having that window into quite a unique mind in the world of chess. So I imagine that would have been quite an inspiration when you're just a kid and learning your taking your first steps. Yeah, it was a quite quite strange time because my, my English wasn't very good. Um but I did manage to to represent England a few times. Uh, um, unfortunately, like I don't really have any great tournament victories. I mean, may, maybe the highlight I have was like sharing a room with Gawain Jones and helping him a little bit. Oh, cool! <laughs> but in, is this in, uh, one of the big championships? Yeah, yeah the, the, I mean, the, the, every year, pretty much, I went to the, the World Juniors. Yeah, and uh, I was yeah sharing rooms with him a lot, and I don't know, he he. He and I played pretty much the same openings. Like pretty much every single junior was playing a dragon, and the, yeah. the, the entire time, like the first few days, was spent trying to find out how to unrefute the dragon in a specific line that, that came up. Yeah, nice. so had some had some fun memories there. Cool. So talk to us a little bit about what you're up to working for PokerStars, and I know that there's going to be some degree of what you can and can't say here with your non-disclosure. So. Uh, so give us a kind of overview of what you can tell us about what you're up to for PokerStars. Okay, so I mean, let me begin with saying how, how I got the job. So after I fell out of love with chess, um, I my my love for, for random games d- 
didn't go away and I found poker. Um, and I was playing for a living for a while. But eventually I started noticing a few players who were making a lot of mistakes suddenly played with very strange timings, like very quick and difficult decisions and made almost no mistakes and increased their volume. So which means they played a lot and and their stakes. Uh, so I was I was around 2016, so it was around the time when um, when DeepMind had that match with uh, Alpha Zero against yeah, Misado, yeah. February or March 2016. Um, so I ended up spending a lot of time being disillusioned with poker, seeing like maybe it could go down the same way. And at the time, I didn't see these players getting banned or anything. There was no response. So I ended up sending a lot of emails to to PokerStars. Um, usually, people send in a lot of emails just complaining. <laughs> about run, running bad and stuff but i send in like two or three pages uh worth of statistical analysis and reasons why i believe these guys were cheating um so yeah so eventually i gave up gave up playing by um asking them for a job i i i just offered my help and when the position opened up they like immediately hired me so after that mm. um i think the first few months my job was solely about catching people cheating in this specific way yeah so we've got to be slightly cautious here because i know that john is sick to every single set of back teeth that he might own of us talking about online cheating but i think that it's nice to maybe get a an expert opinion on this whole topic um so maybe some kind of what are your thoughts on the similarities or dissimilarities i guess between uh online chess and online poker when it comes to cheats in, in in a way it's a lot easier to catch cheating because there is money incentive and when someone's found a way to cheat they will replicate it um and you have a lot of personal information on the players uh which you don't have in in chess which is mostly anonymous yeah yeah i imagine that there's various ways of not being especially sophisticated if you are running these operations yeah yeah there's, there's a money trail there's a paper trail there's a ip trail all, all sorts of things but with chess we do have the advantage that um, everyone is trying to make the best move mm-hmm. every single position, and it's agreed upon. So the best move for you is pretty much always the best move for someone else. And also, the best player in the world is a computer that's rated over twenty, uh, over 3,500, much better than any human possible. Um, so you can use that as a very, very good reference point for all players. Yeah. So that's the advantage of chess over poker for cheat detection. So I guess part of what we're talking about here is that there's that point you made about different incentives that probably online chess platforms have quite a different setup in terms of the sophistication they've got of catching uh, suspected cheats compared to what PokerStars is up to. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's almost our bottom line, our PokerStars' bottom line to, to make sure that people are not cheating yeah. and to... to yeah, to have people believe that the games are clean. Um, where, whereas with online chess, it really depends. Um, like, we can name some names. My my favorite website, Lee Chess, my my namesake. Sure. Um, yeah. Our so, friend Lee. Yeah, exactly. They um yeah they're, they're run by a group of volunteers. I don't really think they have ulterior motives, and yeah, uh, they, they built I think a, a neural network to. So not just based on the the moves themselves, it's going to be some timing data, some 
browsing away from 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 the chess chess site. And I think last time, one of the podcasts at least, Phil mentioned that one of his students had chess space open and got a, a straight yeah. warning. So it, it, there are a lot of things that they're doing. Yeah, I suppose with the problem of that all of these things cost them money and where that becomes something that's very important if you're trying to run a clean poker website and you want to attract players to your site. It makes a lot of financial sense to be investing in your game integrity. Whereas, I guess, chess-wise, there's rather a different uh, degree of economic incentive here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, ch- chess.com, Chess24, not quite a chess-playing platform yet. Um, yeah, th- These sites... The, the bottom line is not really affected. Um, it's not clear that you can trust whether they can ban people with full due process, making sure that um, very low false positive. But also, like, there's no, yeah, like you said, there's no incentive for them to improve anything. There's no um, incentive for innovation. So what would you do? Say you're in a situation where you have all the money in the world to throw at this problem. How do we fix it? So being a bit careful here without giving away too much um, of, of <laughs> yeah, my okay. uh, PokerStars background. But All right. like with chess, um, it's it's kind of lucky that with online chess, that, that you, you, get, you manage to get in a lot of games in um, a short period of time. So if someone's playing, playing Blitz and somehow managed to, to raise a few flags with a... Uh, a string of correct moves or very low center pawn loss in unclear positions, then you can um, you can potentially have a team of detectives or investigators who ask the the player to record themselves playing, both on the computer and also with the camera t- uh, pointing towards them. Something like this, and also detecting um, like l- the player has to open up their computer during this process to what they have on the computer. This still isn't foolproof, but it's going to be a huge, huge problem for for most most cheaters, I would imagine. Yeah. But, but again, th- these sort of things are not free, and th- that's another thing that we can do. Like, I'm not even sure that current cheat detection has, um, which is a lot of people say that they just memorize opening moves, or they've just so happened to study some position. And the the, the advantage of chess over poker is that. It can be broken down into various chunks, various stages of the game, various uh, setups. So like, let's say like the player played perfectly with the bishop against knight, with pawns on both sides in his ending, completely outplayed his, his opponent, and made no errors. Then you can you can set up different positions with different pawn structures, but roughly the same setup. It's it's kind of it's kind of hard to hard to do, but yeah, if, if you say that like, we have infinite money, then. Yeah, then you put someone in front of these test positions with a panel and they have to replicate their quality of play. And I would imagine that you would very, very quickly flag up a disparity if there were problems involved in this. Yeah, but th- yeah, th- this, is, uh, this is the way to go. But cost, this, th- this would um, necessarily mean that we already have this in place. And I, I think yeah, th- there's not enough analysis gone into chess in the first place to, to, to be able to identify these spots where someone's playing superhuman. Yeah. But yeah, like w- with infinite money, infinite time, infinite resources. <laughs> infinite monkeys on infinite typewriters. You've got the whole thing covered. 
So we talked earlier about, uh, before we were recording, about that essentially once you extend the player pool beyond basically just the top 10 in the world, then in chess you've got issues with the likely problems when it comes to cheating. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Is it a kind of a reputation thing or is it more detailed than that? Yes, I mean, it's... You can look at it like game theory. So it's yep. kind of anti-cheat detection. It's the same as, say, crime. Um, you can never prevent it. So in the same sense, that, like with Pokestars as well, we, we never really say that there's no cheating because you can only detect it after the fact. Um, you can't, like, there's no minority report going on. You can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't yeah. start arresting people based on crimes that they may commit. So with chess, <laughs> it, it takes... A, Take some sample, so it's it's quite hard to to, to match the um, the harm done to various players who who were cheated against um, straight after the event. Sometimes it might take more than more than twelve games, more than a few tournaments, more uh, with a lot of prize money gone. Um, so outside of the top ten, if you're in this environment, it's kind of um, if you don't cheat, then you're going to lose out in some small way. Um, and yeah, the, unfortunately, chess is not a very yeah. uh, very rich sport, so the incentives are really there. Um, I'm not gonna name any names, but um, like even even um, even with the, my experience playing on the Isle of Man, so I, I'm based on the Isle of Man. So at the lower session, the sections is one of the largest prize funds for, for as a tournament. Yep, and. Um, Every year, there's some few, some players that used to be 22, 2300s suddenly drop massively in rating and end up coming to the island. Yeah, yeah, it's an incentives problem, probably. When, when yeah, when when the incentive when these incentives are there or or, or not there, these things are going to happen. If if you're playing against someone and, and the price fund is very high, you're 2600, he's 2600s. If he cheats in a small way, there's no way he can be caught in this tournament alone. It's it kind of, I don't know. It, it, the whole situation incentivizes cheating. Ugh. We're, we're, obviously, we don't have this problem with the top ten. So, which is probably yeah. broadly true of poker as well, isn't it? That's probably what you were getting at in your decision to stop playing pro in 2016. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of getting a bit messy, a, a bit dirty. <laughs> and yeah, and I, I, well, at the time, I didn't have any trust in the online sites in stopping this problem. But now that I'm here. I I obviously say that we can stop this problem, but, mm. and obviously I helped a lot to improve the process, or at least I say so. Yeah, nice. You got to big yourself up, particularly to yeah, our massive listenership on the chess pit. Uh, so, in terms of chess versus poker, then are there lessons that we can draw that perhaps if we slightly broaden the scope away from purely the game integrity are there lessons when it comes to improving because you've obviously reached a high level in both fields so do you have some opinions to share on this um sure so this this ties in with the anti-chess uh cheating as well because that's like a very basic level of what, what i would say chess analytics yeah um, that's something that I, I'm kind of both surprised and not surprised that is lacking in chess. Um, 
not surprised because there's no money, there's no financial incentive to go into this deep dive and publish a bunch of papers. Um, but also surprised because it's in every other field. So a basic, basic example, let's take chess ratings. So with, uh, I think you were saying that Phil, Phil said he feels like he's improved to 20, 2100 or 2200 level. He doesn't really know. And there's no way to find out now. And yeah. he may have, he may have less his, time to play in the future, right? Yeah, and yeah. his rating is somewhere different to what his perceived strength, playing strength is. And I feel like that's true of lots and lots of players that I talk to at the moment. Yeah, I mean, whether that's true or not is, is not what I'm talking about. But um, <laughs> yeah, okay. chess reading is a, is a horrible predictor of your playing strength, or current playing strength. Um, yeah. If you look at the example of football, yeah, yeah, no one's using ELO ratings to compare football. And the, if you if you try to use try to model it with the ELO ratings for all the teams, you're you're, you're going to lose money betting <laughs> against the <laughs> against the bookies. Yeah. Um, so what I mean is, if you expand this to chess, instead of looking at one single result between you and one particular opponent after a game and use that to calculate your playing strength, you can look at your moves. I mean, like I said, with, with, with the anti-cheating stuff, we have available at our fingertips thousands of database games uh, in the opening that you're playing, uh, and also uh, 3,500 rated engines that can analyze your, your moves. So like how often you're making these blunders. So you're saying your rating is going to be somehow a product of the in-game accuracy rather than the end yeah, result? Yeah, th there's going to be some variance, right? Your in-game, so the variance is your opponent's play. Yeah. Time-related blunders, some other factors. Maybe you're tired that day. So your your personal performance may go up and down a bit. But it's much better to look at your actual moves to see how you're improving. So, for example, how many forced wins did you miss or see? Um, obviously, this is a very specific thing, but it's already better than um, your rating of predicting your win rate, I would say. And also, like, like only just looking at this, the centipone loss, average centipone loss per game or per move. Um, and obviously, you need to separate the positions out. Um, similar with anti-cheating, when one side is overwhelmingly winning, it's not very accurate. It, it doesn't matter. And again, that, that doesn't really change your win rate much when you're already overwhelmingly winning, whether you play the most accurate move. So you can do all sorts of things. Because I think Dubov talked a little bit about this. You pointed me in a in the direction of an interview he'd done recently in Chess24, which I'm sure we can link you guys to. And he talked about how... Um, he gave a specific example of his rating by comparison to Anish Giri and how their individual results hadn't seemed that disparate, but they were operating in different rating spheres because of the guys they were playing against. And that he was arguing something along the lines of this, that... Rating wasn't a particularly good predictor of how strong the yeah, guys were. Yeah, especially point. the top. I mean, they're obviously the best players, but um, yeah. well, they're almost certainly the best players. We can't say for sure. Not nothing is uh, is exact. It's all probabilistic. But they, you're saying that Phil is soon to break the world top ten. Well, there's a chance. <laughs> there's a non-zero <laughs> chance. Yeah. Cool. So they only play against them amongst themselves and. Actually, the game of chess changes even when um, when you only play against the same opponents. So, if you if you're playing against the general population, you need to select it, more so looking at your own play most of the time. 
and preparation is only about your opening moves just before the game. Sometimes there isn't time for preparation. But if you're playing against the same guys over and over again, you need to start setting up files not just for yourself, but for your opponent. Yep. And you need to start tracking what they're doing. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that a lot of the top players are into this stuff already. Like they're, they're already leak finding on, mm. on various opponents and seeing like, okay, this guy plays this opening with no time spent. So therefore he must've prepared this. And now a great equalizer of, of, for the top players and also anyone who's a decent amateur is the, the new engines, right? Like Stockfish and Lee Chess as well. With, with this being available for basically everyone, free free analysis and also free opening book. Um, and also you have, for the ones who are wishing to spend a bit more money, you have um, you have Leela and yeah. Fat Fritz, which give you opening ideas that are usually hard to come if you don't have very good seconds. So a lot you can do a lot of a lot of this analysis yourself now as a as a player. So is this closer to the way that you would say that poker players are operating nowadays in terms of the level to which they're using analytics to improve their performance? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, poker is always about analytics. So if you make a move and it's winning you money, you can look in your database and check that it's winning you money. Yeah. Um, Chess has, yeah, poker is, the game has to be broken down into individual spots, individual hands. There's no rating. Like you play someone heads up, you win a tournament, you gain some rating. That's a very backward way of doing things. So yeah, poker has a, a nice setup. It's a very mathematical game already. So kind of forced into this. And also there is financial incentive. Um, so nowadays there's powerful software for poker as well as chess. So in, in poker, people are dishing out thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars buying software to analyze situations. If you have a simplified game, you can have a you can run a simulation to almost approximate the best play in with the simplified game. And you need powerful computers, so a lot of a lot of um, poker players are dishing out buying renting servers or just buying a very powerful machine. This sounds a bit like what's going on at the very top level of elite chess at the moment isn't it it feels yeah, like there's yeah. a bit of a war of computing power going on up there too yeah i I've, i think i listened to one of the broadcasts on chess 24 where chris Chuck was talking about um i think during his match against girlfriend and back then back in the day like he didn't really use computers that much no, no, no sorry my bad i think it's it's anand against topolov yeah that's that's the one the okay. the, 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 world, the world championships anand against topolov is this the 2010 uh, match I think so, and uh, they they soon realized that um, they were getting outmatched, outcomped, yeah, <laughs> outcomputed, and obviously it was a secret with Ripka, and I think Peter Heiner was talking about um, trying to talk to Ripka, Rip, Ripka, which he had done before every single match previously, but then they suddenly stopped. So he was having a feeling like that some something's happened, and it turned out that Topolov had access to to some supercomputers along with Ripka. And so, yeah, it was a very difficult experience for him. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been going on for a while. But now, like like I said, with Lee Chess and Chess Base, all this software and Leela as well, you don't even need seconds. Well, you do, but less to a lesser extent. 
a lot of the top players have access to this stuff and i think it's it's pretty exciting I, i would say so do you think we're on the verge of or perhaps already there to some extent of a slightly new approach to chess a more poker based approach perhaps yeah i think it's an open secret um and everyone's thinking and alpha zero as well the the in 2017 changed everyone's outlook on chess i would say um like chess is not just a game where you play the op- objective best move all the time it's also about your opponent's response to your move you want to create um every move is um a change in the probability of you winning and losing and drawing so and we're kind of going for an ev approach yeah yeah i i, I don't know if uh want to want to be too i don't know ev is not that mathematical but yeah so every move changes the 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 evaluation in, yeah. in that sense so you need to consider your opponent's likely responses as well as your play and i think up to now most chess players i, I guess quite rightly so because it's it's quite hard to to compete uh, to do this sort of analysis uh, this sort of thinking um the mathematical best move in the position and every single time you play um but Alpha Zero came up, and I think it's opened up everyone's eyes. And the way that it plays and trains is it's get, assigning a probability of every single opponent's response, and that, that's very much the reality. So when you play, you don't play the best move, assuming that your opponent's playing the best move. A simple example to illustrate this point is, let's say you have an uh, you have an end game, king and pawn against king and pawn you have a king on white has a king on d5 pawn on b4 and black has a pawn on b5 and king on a6 and it's white to move so the position is objectively drawn i think uh, like a 2400 player lost this pawn on uh, in, in king and pawn ending and just resigned without even playing out the moves he just thinks that he's going to lose this pawn and lose but yeah so this is an objective draw but white to play has, let's say, two moves, king c5 or king c6. Now, if you play king c6, black has only one response, king a7. And after king a7, you take on b5. It, even if he hasn't done any study, it's it's kind of intuitive. Yeah, it's, it's intuitive to move the king close or stay close and try to block the pawn as much as possible. So you basically force him to make the best play in two moves. He's going to take the opposition, right? Every single engine will read the positions zero zero zero. But engine, we're not. We shouldn't be using engines when talking about human chess. In, yeah, in, which shouldn't affect the overall evaluation because it's still a drawn position. Whatever you do. Exactly. If you play king c five, it depends on the level of of, of the opposition. You're, that you're trying playing. to give your op- opponent an opportunity to screw things up. Right? There's a chance that he plays king b seven. So that fact alone makes king c five what's called like a, it's a dominating strategy in game theory. So, I mean, objectively, it's yeah. the same evaluation, but King C5 is just better in practice. And yeah. I, I, I don't have access to Alpha Zero, but maybe, maybe like this stuff is too basic for Alpha Zero as well. Um, it, it, King C5 though should show a very, very tiny fraction higher evaluation than King, King C6. So you're saying we generalize this. Yeah. way of thinking to every situation yeah yeah exactly exactly if you were to redesign a program for chess improvement that centered around this probabilistic way of thinking what would it look like could you give a sample uh training activity say or something that uh, we could practically use 
to try and improve our chess? In terms of chess improvement, it's I, I'm not an expert in the field, but I, I believe in a scientific method. So, yeah, a lot of things need to be tested. I, I don't think there's been any published paper or any research gone on chess improvement. I think a lot of the cases, I just know my coach did this and he knows his coach who did the same thing. And that's what we learned. Yeah, there's a series of bits of kind of broadly accepted wisdom of what you do to try and get better. And to what extent this is actually what you should do is maybe... Yeah, exactly. Um, open to a bit of interpretation and question here. Yeah, I, yeah um, as far as I know, like the, the Russian school of chess, they have had this sort of analysis done secretly. Um, I'm not sure how much of this knowledge is passed on. And yeah, to, to really find the best way to improve we do need some research um i think uh, i, I mm-hmm. read on twitter recently um i think about botvinnik saying that blitz chess is terrible for chess improvement and then peter heiner nielsen my my favorite guy <laughs> said, said that um yeah the, the, there's no there's no research and now nowadays we have we have the data set to, to analyze like there's a lot of kids young kids playing uh, online blitz and I, I would say that they've pretty much disproved the theory that playing blitz is bad for you yeah they're putting in serious volume and yeah. evidently making rapid progress at the same time yeah like, i mean Ferruja was playing playing blitz bullet against everyone on chess.com lee chess yep. for for years and yeah he he's now tipped to be the the next world champion or one of the uh people tipped to be the one yeah the so perhaps we have to revisit these pieces of accepted wisdom and try to get a more rigorous approach so what would you do personally have you got some pointers that you could offer even with the caveat that this is not coming from a place of yeah so um it's hard to so in terms of long-term improvement like i said that there's not enough analysis so i I have no idea how the human brain develops and how like if you study this one thing or have another regimen uh, if you do some exercise beforehand and and so on and so forth it's gonna improve uh, make you improve faster but in terms of single things you can do to improve your win rate there are there are various things <laughs> that, I, that i can talk about so there's this website called uh, chessdb.com and and also i think Carsten Carsten Muller wrote a book back in the back in 2001. I think it was spotted in one of uh, Carlson's videos that he always has his book uh, called uh, Fundamental Chess Endings, where they publish some data on on chess ending frequency and statistics to do with the with these endings. Not surprisingly, the most common ending is uh, rook and pawn against rook. Uh, it was a 15% frequency of occurrence. Um, but I would say that. Number one thing as a beginner, eventually you need to learn is king and pawn endings, um, because they're the backbone of all end games. And obviously these are quite rare, but one of the reasons they're rare is because players are very mismatched, or um, or players resign before they get to there, because quite often one side is clearly winning. Um, however, the king and pawn ending is important because every single end game can be reduced to that so even though you don't necessarily get to it you need to understand the evaluation and the concepts um one side is it's always going to favor one side to swap pieces into a king and pawn ending and not the other and you need to understand why 
and every single endgame. So the frequency of occurrence, right here is two pawns against one pawn, king and pawn ending is 10%, but it's much higher than that because it's always threatened to go into that. Um, so, and th those those endings, you just have to learn. There's, there's no, there's various free material and books and training videos. So apart from that, obviously the next one will be rook and pawn endings. If you, if you look at the, apart from the frequency of occurrence, the blunder rate. Um, so a blunder is, very hard to define in chess. Quite often, for for new players, maybe it's like plus five or minus five uh, as a huge blunder. Um, for um, for a grandmaster, maybe a plus one or minus one is is a blunder. Um, however, in, in an end game, a blunder is very easy to define. A blunder is when the uh, evaluation of position changes, and there's there's no, nothing controversial. In 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 an end game, there's nothing to hide. There's there's the table base. When you make a move that draws, it will draw. So yeah. like it will go from uh, instead of plus one, it will be one zero or half half. Yeah. Um, if you look at the table, it's ten or eleven percent blunder rate with rook and pawn against rook. So that that's a if you if you make no blunders in this ending, you're gonna have more than fifty moves to expect a blunder from your opponent. Yeah, and the average player is making one every nine moves. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and. You pretty much always win or always always draw as a defending side if you're playing against someone who hasn't studied this properly. And if you go down the list, queen and pawn against queen actually is insanely difficult to study for humans. And uh, <laughs> like all top players say the same thing. You just like a computer will play because it's it's so strange for us to for humans to to play this ending. The queen moves so far away and. It's very chaotic. It's very hard to, to, to recognize patterns. But apart from that, the, 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 if you go down the list, even though it's 1% of occurrence, the rook and bishop against rook, it's a 50% almost. It's half the time someone makes a blunder. So either it's a winning position turns into draw, or drawn position turns into win. So if you manage to make no mistakes here, against the average opponent, you basically always win or always draw. Yeah, because they're screwing it up so yeah, frequently. Exactly. And like... Maybe in the fifty moves, your opponent every not every move is is a is going to be a fatal blunder uh, opportunity. But when there is, they're very likely to make it. And you probably will have like four or five chances to to get a win. It's a nice way of thinking to break down the game into phases and then treating your opponents as fallible humans and picking off the points where they're going to mess stuff up. Yeah, so like I said, chess training, chess books, all of these things up to recent, very recently have always been finding the best move objectively at all times, assuming that your opponent's playing the best move. And real chess is not like that. No, no, that's interesting that you can find scenarios where people are much more likely to make mistakes than others and try and guide the game in that direction. And I think, uh, yeah, and I think Alpha Zero, it brought me back to the game because I originally felt chess really dull and... <laughs> Eventually, I felt like I've learned all the concepts. All it was, I was just too lazy and also not motivated to go through the motions of memorizing openings and studying middle game concepts, studying positions, <laughs> memorizing famous wins to to as a reference point in my games and also endings. And also, like back in the day, when I was um, when when I was playing chess before two thousand seven. It was very difficult to improve as a lone lone wolf, as a someone without a coach, without a, a group of other players. 
because you don't ha you don't have these ideas, these concepts. You just have a weak engine evaluation that can help you. Yeah, and your resources are yeah. lacking any kind of sophistication, aren't they? So training-wise, I, I think that with the uh, with the advent of all these free stuff, especially Lee Chess, yeah, it's gonna if 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 someone would have been a grandmaster when a um, like l l let's say twenty years ago, I'm not not saying myself, but <laughs> with, with the proper resources, I think a lot more people will improve a chess very rapidly. Yeah, we're already seeing signs of that, aren't we? With records being broken of youngest ever grandmaster and yeah, players yeah, breaking yeah. into the world top ten at unprecedented ages. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So there we go. If you do fancy taking a poker approach to your chess, you might get a one up on hopefully nearly everybody. But this open secret, maybe we're already behind the curve on this one. Uh, but good luck to you guys. And Lee, thank you very much for joining us today and sharing lots of your ideas. Yeah.